Folks, Season 2, Episode 12 of Stats of Matter. Formula 1, NBA, NHL playoffs, a little bit of golf. It's all right here in this episode this week. In our cups, it's an IPA from Front Royal and a stout from Portland, Maine, because my podcast co-host does not realize that when it is 85 degrees outside, that doesn't mean it's hashtag stout weather. Find Stats of Matter wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, at Stats Podcast, and make sure you do the same on Instagram, at Stats Don't Matter. Now, Tim, you're not as old as the lefty, but I think it might be, you know, a few more years until we reach the podcast Hall of Fame. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Let's get into the show. Go. And for the record, it's always stout. <laughs> no, it's not. As we get into this episode of Stats Matter Podcast, we go, what's in my cup? And hopefully all the listeners have their bingo cards out because Tim was very, very close to saying one of the things um, for why it's stout season because of a certain brewery. But he didn't this time, so no no free drinks. But Tim, you got a stout. What is the stout this week? I uh, talked. To, I, I mentioned it. I kind of better deleted last week uh, on what I was going to do. I didn't do it, so I'm doing it this week. I have uh, Foundation Brewing. Let's do brunch. It is a French toast milk stout. Uh, it's made with two-row chocolate, roasted barley, uh, some crystals, some oats, some coffee, cinnamon, vanilla, and everybody's favorite, except mine, a little lactose uh, to give it that little tweed flavor. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of it in IPAs. I'll give it a pass in some of these uh, stouts because you're only going to have you know one or two of them in a sitting, but... For me, I don't think it adds enough to justify the additional calories you're going to get in it. And I think it kind of oversweetens a lot of these IPAs. So IPAs, not so much, but I'm here for it in this. Uh, yeah, let's give it a go. And by this point, you know how much I actually enjoy stouts. I do think it is always stout season. There's always room for nice, you know, you'll have a coffee every day. So, you know, why not mix in a stout here and there? I mean, I'm more of a tea guy, so you know, oh, I don't have a coffee every day. Usually, if I have a coffee, it means I'm I'm trying to stay up. Look at that! One of the gifts and the curse of uh, ADD is that uh, coffee, no matter what time of day or night, <laughs> is what it is. It doesn't touch it. <laughs> no. I saw it's a meme good. today that said, uh, uh, "I'm at the stage in my life where I don't drink coffee to stay awake anymore. I drink it to avoid the massive headache that comes when not having one." Yeah, and that I feel is. Incredibly accurate. <laughs> um, There's a lot right. of a lot of so memes was, that uh, used to be things, and now they're like, "Oh, hey, remember when this happened like four or five years ago? Like the Yanny and Laurel fiasco, or the what do you see with this dress? Is it blue and is it mm. black and blue, or is it white and gold? Like the fact that those are coming out of list now makes me feel really old. I'm not yeah. happy about that. Ah, actually, no, it's gonna make you feel old. You reach the point in your life, uh, age wise, where things are just gonna start hurting, and the memes are gonna make more sense. Where it's like, oh, <laughs> my, welcome to thirty-five. Your back just always hurts now, which is super accurate because now my back literally hurts all the time. I've slept in like a different bed in my house to avoid back pain. So, uh, here's the getting old as shit. Anyway, uh, this beer is. Interesting because it looks so. If I hold it to the light and I look sort of like a diagonal fashion, it's got sort of like a root beer, sort of bubbly, sort of thinness to it. But when you try and look straight through it, it looks like straight motor oil. So it's very dark, but it's light, if that makes sense. Like the beer itself feels yeah. light, but it is a very dark 
looking beer. The SRM is like 60. Yeah, but smells, like the, the weight on your palate's probably not that high. Smells phenomenal. Smells. I get a lot of the vanilla. Get the chocolate. Yeah, you can tell it's going to be sweet right off the bat. Speaking of memes, you you must have seen the meme that's going around that's like one breakfast food has to go and it's like pancakes, French toast, waffles, and there's like something else. And everyone else is like throwing waffles or um, French toast like out. And I'm like, what is this? No, pancakes got to go. For, uh, out the gate. Pancakes have to go. Bye-bye. See ya. They're not as good as French toast. They're not as delectable or as transferable as waffles. You can't make a Monte Cristo with pancakes. So no, pancakes got to go. What's that fourth option though? Ah, it was some other breakfast thing. I don't remember. Well, a, the fact that biscuit. you can't remember it is probably a biscuit. gone. <laughs> because I can't remember. Because <laughs> that was probably too. gone. Uh, <laughs> I, there's a place for all three of those. Pancakes are a regular staple in my house with a five-year-old. In fact, I just made a plate of them yesterday morning for my kid mm. who will eat about 100 pancakes in one sitting. And I wish that was exaggerating. I was the same way when I was his age. My parents used to take me to a restaurant. And I would just house stacks of pancakes when I was three, four, five years old. My son has inherited the pe- the pancake destroying gene for certain. He had, without exaggerating, he probably had like a good eight pancakes yesterday. Some of which had chocolate chips. Some were plain. The only reason he stopped is because there weren't any more on the pile that had chocolate chips in them. So uh, it's his lucky. It's his treat every couple weeks. Um, but when we get them, it's you know every other meal is a struggle. But some pancakes? Not a chance. We should so just maybe. start feeding him pancakes every meal. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe start just putting, putting some mayo, cheese, lettuce, tomato, and, and some sandwich meat on there. Oh my God. Okay, Tim, give us give us the beer. We've gone right. completely off the rails here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, it is as like as I was expecting it to as far as like on the palate, when you're taking a sip, it's not that super, super thick. That you get when you have a normal pastry stout these days, um, especially when you add lactose into the mix. You have that sort of like diesel, very viscous, sort of thick liquid. This isn't that. It's very, very light beer, actually, surprisingly enough. Um, and it's got a lot of flavor. I would say it's not as flavor forward as a lot of the traditional pastry stouts. There's a lot of the pastry stouts that you're getting now, um, which... I think docks it a little bit in my book. If you're going to label something a French toast stout, you're going to put all those ingredients in there. You really want to taste all of those ingredients. And I I get like a mildly, mildly more flavored generic stout. Um, it's Where it wins a little bit for me is that I could have probably two or three of these in one sitting without feeling like so weighed down because it's a super thick uh, pastry stout. But, right. Ten sips. Everyone knows the rules. Yeah. I get get a little bit of the French toast. Pipe flavor based off of the oats. I get a lot of the cinnamon and some of the vanilla comes through. But the chocolate or the... The chocolate and the coffee tend to like fight each other a little bit. I wish they had gone for one or the other, maybe gone with chocolate over coffee. I think that would have probably been a better flavor in general. Right now, it kind of tastes like you put your entire breakfast in a blender and you're just drinking it all at once, coffee included. And the coffee is going to overpower it quite a bit. And the chocolate can tend to be a pretty strong flavor as well, especially in the beer. 
they tend to kind of fight each other a little bit. It takes away, I think, a little bit from the overall flavor of it. I'm going to go with um, 3.7 for this hmm. one, which is a little disappointing. because I, I mean, I say disappointing. 3.7 is still a, a, a great score. Um, it's still a good beer. It's not as good as I was hoping, judging by the the label. The name. Or the, yeah, the or description the on the can. So, I mean, compared to other adjunct stouts I've had from Maine, you know, like Barreled Souls and places like that, you know, everyone's favorite uh, out of Florida, you know, <laughs> some of the ones twice, that have folks, that's twice. some of the ones that have come from uh, Trillium, even like a lot of those, uh, you know, pretty much nail exactly what the flavor is right on the top. This one kind of misses it a little bit. So still hmm. a good beer. Um, if I were ever like now, I know how light it is. If I ever saw this and I was going to, you know, a, a pool party, a, a, a summer part, or sorry, a kickback as they call them now. Uh, according oh, okay. To the, according to the youths, uh, the youths, the two youths. Yeah, if I was going, uh, you know, to hang out with a bunch of TikTokers at a kickback, uh, <laughs> this might think- be one I would consider bringing because it's it's light enough. I mean, it could feel dense after like three or four of them, but it's light enough. I feel like it's perfectly fine to sit and have a couple of them. Um, but I, I, I mean, I've definitely had some better pastry stouts. Believe Plus, it you, you'd be the old cultured guy who wasn't drinking hazies or or seltzers at the party, right? The cool thing now is to hate uh, to hate IPAs. I've actually started seeing that, you know, more frequently amongst the beer groups. Where everyone's going towards something else because everyone's over IPAs now. And do you know what I say? Keep yeah. the hate going. More IPAs for your boy. Let's go. Speak of. Tim, I hear you all the time. Oh, I just like to keep it local. Well, I'm keeping it local too, Tim. This right. is an IPA from Front Royal Brewing out of Front Royal, Virginia. It's got Strata and Frank Zappa. No, I'm just kidding. Zappa Hops. I know you've heard of Zappa <laughs> Hops before. Six and a half percent alcohol by volume. It's called Decorating a Piece of Time. Cool jetson uh can art on the side here with all these clocks that right. look like something you might see at one of those boutique stores yep like home sense home goods tj maxx something like that where you're paying six hundred dollars for an antique clock that was that probably cost like 35 dollars to make um i like it i've heard a lot about front royal and i happened to be at brunch the other day and uh there's a beer beer store right next door so i popped in and i saw this can and then I grabbed it because it was like one of the last ones. And usually that's a pretty good indicator that like, yeah, you might want to grab it, right? Yeah, yeah. The date was good on it and everything. Um, it was actually brewed just a couple of days before. And I put it on the counter. And this is how I knew. And how I hope that this beer lives up to the expectations. The guy behind the counter was like, that's fantastic. Uh, that's fantastic. Mm. Got the last one. I love everything from them. Now, having worked at a beer store before, I know that's about 50% bullshit and 50% hot shit. <laughs> so... Yeah. I hope that this doesn't uh, it doesn't prove me wrong, but just just from the look of it, nice, clear. I wouldn't call it a West Coast style. I mean, I haven't really tried it on yet, but it's got a low SRM. You can see through it. Nice, good head retention on the top there. You can you can tell somebody in this uh, podcast has taken a beer tasting class or two. <laughs> now he's starting to bust out all the the fancy lingo SRM. Mm. You gonna educate people on what an SRM is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh man. That's very good. You know, sometimes like um I and I'll get to the SRM in just a minute here, but 
You know, sometimes when you get an IPA, it just it just cuts through you. It's like very nice, cold, refreshing. There's no other like stuff that's added on top of it. It's just like very bitter, cool, refreshing to the point. That's what this beer is. Um, this is definitely a beer that you would have outside in the sun. And I should have had it this weekend when I was outside in the sun. But instead, I picked up a four-pack of vitamin C brewing. So I clearly felt like I had to do that instead. Um, they distribute down your way? Yeah. Yeah, but we got limited distributors. So they, there was wow. like a mixed four-pack. Shout out to uh, the brew shop in Arlington. I was like, I, I had to go get a keg. You know, we had people over this weekend. So I had to go get a keg. I went and got a keg of uh, the Hellas Lager from Von Trapp. Fantastic. It's my sidecar mm-hmm. beer for the evening. And I noticed... Ooh, excuse me. I noticed that they just had this four pack of vitamin C brewing right there. So I said, the keg's for you guys. This four pack's for me. Now, you can imagine the next day that your boy felt a little one off. You know what I'm saying? Four <laughs> vitamin C IPAs back to back to back to back. Sounds like it's a great idea. Didn't really work out in perpetuity for him. But, anyways, back to this beer. Um, it's got that candied hop taste to it. It doesn't taste too sweet. Doesn't feel like there's a lot of additive in it. And SRM, I don't know the exact term, but basically, the SRM talks about how much light can be perceived through a beer. So you have your Bud Light, for example, that has an SRM of like two, three. Light goes right through it. And then with like your stouts um, and your barley wines and your red ales, those all have higher SRMs because obviously they're cloudier and light doesn't get through them. The same thing mm-hmm. you know you get with some of these hazy IPAs. So I don't know exactly what the top end is, but most lagers and, and pilsers you're going to see are like anywhere from three to like 10. You can kind of see through it. This is kind of one of those things I'd say it's probably an SRM of like 15. Like you can see through it kind of, but you're not really seeing. Like if I were to put the beer in front of the camera and look at your face, I might know that your face is behind it, but I can't, I couldn't make out the features. Like your permanent five o'clock shadow. And I'm so jealous of how it looks so penciled in the entire time. Like you have hair and makeup people. Anyways, so uh, I like this beer. (laughs) I like this beer. Um, I, I definitely like the fact that again, it's just it's a very very refreshing crisp beer, and even sometimes when you have a beer that's like cold in the fridge, it doesn't quite give you the ah, taste like a you know, like a sprite or yeah. like something else does, like that's really effervescent. And that's what this effervescent that's what this is. So I'm gonna go ahead and give this. I'm gonna give this a four three. This is really good. Real quick, before we move on from beers, someone asked me. Uh, I saw this on uh, the social medias the other day. And uh, I had a surprising answer myself for it. So I'm going to ask you. You're out in the yard. You're on the lawn tractor. You're pushing your mower. You're putzing around the garden. Whatever you're doing. What is your, it's hot as balls I'm working in the yard beer. Mm. I'll tell you mine. Cold Miller High Life. Every day. All day. Anytime. See, I, I love mixing high life with orange juice though, and I can't do that while drinking. I mean, while you know pushing the lawnmower because I, w- I would sell, I would smell so sweet that the bugs would all just like you know they'd, they'd want to swarm me. Want to hang you out? Can't with see, boy. can't see my face, but it's just pure disgust <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's a Grand Street mimosa, Miller High Life, and a little bit of OJ, just to cloudy it up, just to give it an SRM of like twenty two. Yeah, I don't know about <laughs> that one, man. Uh... Hey, I'm not gonna see you try it. Yeah, well, uh, I I think I have before, and it was that, I wasn't the biggest fan. Uh, Tim, it's like it's not mixing a Bud Light. Come on now, it's like mixing uh, mixing. Uh, was it Bud Light and Clamato? It's oh, an yeah. actual beer. Uh, yeah, yeah no. Michelada. 
Yeah, hard pass. Hard pass, man. Uh, if you want to mix something with, <laughs> if you want to mix something with orange juice, get OJ from Lone Pine. That. Oh yeah. Or it's double OJ. Good. Yeah, but not High Life, man. It's High Life, cold. A little sweat on the bottle, in the koozie, is the most refreshing beer you can get. And the best part about High Life is that it's still a decent beer, as it warms a little bit. Some of them have like. Like a Bud Light or a Coors Light. Once it gets warm, it's like, ooh, this is yeah, this is dodgy territory. I'm just going to pour it out and get another one because I got 30 of them for the cost of a, of a decent four-pack. Just pour those suckers out. But High Life tends to kind of keep its shit together a little bit longer. But I'm going to I'm gonna have two answers for you. If it's macro beer, it's got to be PBR. I'm, I'm a huge PBR fan. One answer. Been- one answer. There is no if it is, if it isn't. <laughs> One answer. Who makes for the, the rest rules of life, this podcast, Tim? We do. We can give to someone. Answers. Shows up at your door and says, "Look, sir, I'm going to give you a lifetime supply of beer for all your yard work." Yes, people. What are. is it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's got to be something that you can like sit and have a bunch of without one feeling guilty, two feeling tired. I've kind of reached the point now where I've sort of switched up a lot of my craft beer. Like I buy craft beers for this podcast now mm. because I've in my lifetime. I wish I had kept up with Untapped because from the time I was 21, like literally the day I turned 21, I would say even before that, when I was having people pick up beers, they were always like, not your typical beers. I was having people get like Amber Bach from Michelob mm-hmm. while everyone else was drinking like Bud Light, you know, like just because it was like different, just things to try. The day I turned 21, I walked across the street. I uh, it was the Portland Public Market when it was still open, and they had this oh, little bottle shop place. in there. And you could go in, you can make your own six pack. So I walked in, I picked my own six pack at ten in the morning. Started, you know, trying them out first thing in the morning, and uh, well, not quite first thing because uh, totally legal and obviously allowed. <laughs> Um, I was hanging out with a bunch of the fraternity guys the night before, being totally sober. And then at uh, midnight, uh, we found uh, an establishment that let me in, being that I was now 21. Um, and we kind of went a little crazy. So I was a little not under the weather, but not 100% the following morning. <clears throat> um, but so later, when I pulled myself together, I went over and that sort of started it. And ever since then, Anytime I'm having a beer, if it wasn't a high life or like, you know, somewhere where somebody was, you know, giving me a beer, I was, I'm, I'm not a beer snob enough. I turn away beers. If someone's socially offering one, I'll have no matter what it is, uh, except maybe a Heineken. Maybe not. Maybe. But anyway, it, yeah. I've had so many in my life that like now... My schedule, working these overnights, shout out to all the production folks and the people working on TV that might be listening to this. Um, I just find myself not drinking them enough now that when I do, like I feel different, not only while I'm drinking it, but the next day and like sometimes like later in the night versus like a, a high end glass of whiskey now. Like I'll have one high end glass of whiskey and feel great. Wake up, no problem, no cobwebs. I'll have like a beer or two. Wake up a little fuzzy sometimes the next morning, just because I'm just it, they don't sit well anymore because I don't drink them as often. So I gotta tell you, man, if it wasn't for this podcast, I don't know if I would be 
nipping back into the uh, oh, craft beer wait, scene. Wait, wait, as don't, often. Put, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Come on. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm glad we have it because it keeps me sort of like, I'm, first of all, I'm in more craft beer groups on Facebook than I am anything else. So, like, <laughs> I always know what's going on. This I'm always interested. Cred. Yeah, I'm always interested in, like, trying them. I will go out and I'll find some periodically just to, just to try them out. But, like, I don't know. I'm kind of at the at the point now where when I go into a package store, the first thing I'm looking at is like the whiskey aisle, and I'm talking to the guys about like their store picks or which ones they have coming down the pipeline. I, I got a bottle of uh, a, a semi new uh, whiskey distillery called New Riff. It's phenomenal, really, really good. They started out really strong, but they were doing sort of this blend situation where people were kind of questioning whether or not. That was, you know, what it was actually going to come out tasting like. And it's come out so good that a lot of people are saying that, like, this is what uh, what new distilleries should be aiming for. And it's a benchmark. And at this point now, they're starting to compete with some of the more established higher end uh, distilleries that are out there. So shout out New Riff. Shout out to Wine and Liquor Depot down the street um, who recommended it. I was looking at some of their store picks and said, hey, I got this one. Uh, is it local to Dish, Connecticut? No, 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 no. It's all over the place. Because, um, like, Just shout me out to this. my pen and writing this down. I tell you what, by the end of, and eh, by the end of this season, might be a little aggressive. Midway through next season, we might be doing some whiskey tastings on air for uh, for some of these with Sam. Fair. No, not fair. Me and Hard Alcohol, we went our, we went our separate no, no, ways a no, long no. time it's, ago. It's an ease into it. It's an ease into it. I was the same way with uh, with with my wife. There was a period of time when I avoided it because I got a little, uh, we would call it cranky, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you acted old, but you weren't old. Yeah. Yeah, I got a little. We got we got a little cranky, and it just wasn't necessarily worth it. And now that's you know, we've kind of that's that's not the same scenario anymore. Um, I. I I mean, I'm not drinking the same amount as I used to way back when, when, you know, you would crack one open. So like it's, it's, it's been a non-issue and I think it's just sort of like the natural progressional things like as you kind of <laughs> move on and like I, my body just can't suck down the poison of four to five craft beers every other day or every so yeah. often. I can't have like 10 in a week and still be like, oh, this is totally fine. My liver's cool. And this is this is the episode where we definitely are entering the geriatric phase of our life, folks. Hopefully, you, you love this episode. That's what podcast. <laughs> Sam, what, what? Sam sidecar today is a is a, a logger. Mine's a Manhattan. <laughs> oh God, we're so old. Uh, yes, we one are. last thing before we before we get into this, the actual sports video here because we drone it on a bit. Oh, we, we do um, sports here. Yeah, we do. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot. I, I was out. I was out for dinner the other night, and uh, I asked the guy. Uh, the, the waiter, I said, hey, what do you have on tap? What's your seasonal IPA? He said, lunch. It's really good. I'm like, Jesus. But I just, I had your voice in the back of my head. Yeah. I'm like, uh, all right, whatever. Give me lunch. Guess what, Tim? Yeah. It was still terrible. I didn't like oh, it. Oh, get out of town. <laughs> get out t- of But the only other choices were Blue Point Toasted Lager, Macro, Sam Boston Lager. Didn't want it. Uh, and like one other, like Bach or something. And I was just like, this is the only IPA in the menu. I guess I'll get lunch. And I had it. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe my, like my palate's not there. Maybe I'll just get another one. I got a second one. And guess what? Confirmed still 
not a good bad uh, for you, you boy. You know, you know what? You know what? In this relationship, Sam is the Bryson <laughs> to, <laughs> to yeah, my so Brooks Kapka here because Sam's all on that new new, and I'm just rolling my eyes over here with the nonsense going on oh, over there. Oh my goodness. Uh, oh my goodness. Let let's all right, so let's let's get into that. The 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 PGA championship was this past weekend. Oh. Phil Mickelson, lefty, came out round after round for the ages, um, and absolutely blew the doors off of most of the field. Uh it, it got a little tight there in a couple areas, but Phil just kept driving bombs. And if there's anyone whose chip game is just phenomenal, it's Phil's. Like, I understand that all the flash and all the jazz in golf is bombing it three-something off the tee. Phil did that a couple of times this weekend. Easy. Went right down the fairway, right where it needed to go. Over the water, through the trees, didn't matter. He was getting it. But where that guy was lethal was on chip shots to get in to the easy areas around the green and make a, like a simple one putt. Or if there was a long, he could two putt it and just he kept the pressure on the rest of the field. Uh, there was some moving around. Dustin Johnson didn't even make the final cut, which is crazy. Um, and he ended up winning. And at, what didn't he finish like six hundred or something like that? Like seven hundred. He did. Like- so this this was a really really tough tournament because I mean Phil himself didn't even have. We we say blew away, but let's you know let's be honest. He won six hundred. When we say blow away, normally we see these tournaments where guys are like fifteen, eighteen, nineteen under. Uh, but given the, given the difficulty of like how the course yeah. was affecting everyone, it, it was almost like he was like running and they were standing still. That, that's kind of what it felt like yeah. as you were watching into the second and the third round of it. Yeah, you had a couple guys who kind of showed a little flash a little bit. Like Jordan came out struggling, mm-hmm. uh, barely made the cut, and then Saturday came charging back in and put himself in a position where you're like, oh, he's seven back. I mean, he could have made a run at it from Saturday until Sunday because, uh, like, the the scoring itself wasn't tremendous from anybody. It was just set up very, very hard. Phil finished 200 in round one, 300 in round uh, two, 200 in round one, and one over in the fourth round and still managed to come away with a win. Um, Kepka was obviously, you know, part of the conversation going into it. They were the final pair. Uh, he stumbled a little bit. I mean, you know, people can say whatever they want, but he finished only two back on this really difficult course. So it's not like I'm gonna... there was like five holes though, where he was like, Phil had a one stroke lead, Phil had a one stroke lead. Then Brooks had a two stroke lead. And then yeah. all of a sudden Phil had a two stroke lead again because he double yeah. bogeyed. You know, there was like, even Phil put one in the water too, like, you know, in the hazard, like out of, out of bounds. And like, it it yeah. didn't seem to be enough. Whatever, whatever Mickelson had, but when he gained, when he went into that last day with the momentum, and everyone's like, "Oh, he might be the oldest player to win," you know, like this championship. Like, but you, you had to wonder, yep. like, is the writing on the wall? Is he going to make it happen, or is it going to be like one of those epic fall, like on the back nine things? And he held on. And yeah, I, even with a late tea time on Sunday, like I, I think they started at like two thirty or something like that. Like, I mean, it's like yep. seven or something. You know what I mean? You're just kind of like, guys, finish the game. <laughs> to finish the round like i gotta cook dinner i gotta get ready for the week like come on get, get this, this is thing this, going this is how you know sam is a uh is a relatively new member of the uh golf community well we mm. welcome him with open arms welcome <laughs> your card your uh your membership card is in the mail um now they always start later on sundays um like the the last pairing always 
forever. Just playing on as long as you're a golf fan, unless they're playing uh, overseas, like the Ryder Cup or something like that. Your Sunday dinners, your Saturday dinners are always going to be, you know, in a questionable state because the games, always, uh, the the rounds always run late. But yeah, it um, it was crazy. The last major he won was in 2010. His first was in uh, 1999, I believe it was, or no, it was later than that. I think it was 2004. It was when he won his first Masters. He won his last Masters, which is his last uh, major in 2010, which was also the the Masters. So, I mean, he's been playing on the the Champions Tour, which is, you know, nobody knows what that is. You have the PGA Tour. You have the, the, you know, several branches of the PGA, which tend to be uh, not the minor leagues, but, you know, the minor leagues and amateur tours. The Champions League is where you go when you feel like you're no longer able to compete with the young guns. It's where, you know, the age limit is like 45 and above, basically. It's uh, not retiree golf, but it's it's the older crowd, right? When you, you Generally, when you move into the, the DJ Championship Series or the Champion Series, it's, you know, your days of competing for a lot of these big majors – for a lot of people's behind him, which is why this is such a good one, because yeah. to see him come, to see him win, one, uh, it continues to, you know, what I've been saying, you know, while we have all these Bryson conversations, that while the long ball definitely helps, accuracy in the short game is really what's going to continue winning you majors and tournaments in general. Um uh, We've seen it over and over and over with DeShembo where you can bomb it a million miles, but sometimes his accuracy struggles a little bit. Now, Phil was able to hit some very, very long drives in this tournament. Not quite the same level, but, you know, bombs, I mean, as he put it. Yeah, but he, his, he, was, he was carrying like 300-something like off the tee, yeah. you know what I mean? And as long as, us, it, as long as it went straight, like it, it was good. Yeah, but for, for, for the, like his winning recipe... It was a hundred percent in his accuracy throughout his career. He has always been a chipping legend, uh, like a magician around the green. You've hit, you've heard Spieth and him in the same conversation. Spieth is another one of those guys who's going to have longevity. You know, he finished tied for third after barely making the cut, which is, you know, a a pretty good score considering where he was going into to Saturday. So. You got you got a lot of these guys who focus more on their accuracy and their ability to put the ball in close when it matters, uh, and I think this is sort of a testament to that. So, major shout out to him. Very entertaining weekend. Um, I actually prefer watching some of these tournaments where you see him struggling. I'm not a big fan of these tournaments where you just run away with the score. I've turned on, you know, four or five tournaments over the last six months where the score has been like. 18 under going into Sunday. You're like, what the hell, man? I'm like, did yeah. they even try? Like, what is what is going on here? Um, uh, so no, I you know, shout out to Phil. I'm happy for him. Uh it was probably let's say the second best drama of the weekend. I'll give it the first. I'll give it the first uh <laughs> I'll give what it is the first, that first drama, pray tell. I, I will give it the I'll give it, you know. The, the best part of the weekend, the second best part of the weekend is actually seeing some of the true colors in the PGA sort of come to light. There's this sort of 
idea that everyone on the PGA Tour is this gentleman. Everyone's great. They get along. Yeah. But yeah. that's really not the case. You have hundreds of guys who are out there competing sometimes weekly, four days a week, for six hours a day, or I mean, longer if you consider practice. So these guys are around each other all the time, and there will come, you know, points in that span where someone just rubs you the wrong way, but you can't help but like be around that same person because that's that is your job. Um, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka are sort of the model of that scenario where. I mean, everyone likes to say Brooks Kepka is this sort of laid back dude that everyone wants to hang out with. I'm not quite in the same boat. I think he has moments where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be a cool dude I like to have beers with. But for me, there are other points where I'm like, it's kind of a little cringe and maybe a little bit douchey. Um, <laughs> Bryson DeChambeau, for me, that As we was all always. Yeah. And Bryson, for me, um, He's one of those that, you know, in the beginning I thought was super cringe, super awkward and uncomfortable, but like getting to understand his philosophy, why he does a lot of the things that he does. I could see why it might annoy some people, but for me, like I got to respect it a little bit because I, what he's doing is going to change golf in the same way that Tiger Woods changed golf. We can hate it all we want right now, but He's a, uh, you know, there's some questionable growth that happened in the off season <laughs> where he's like literally <laughs> twice the size, but I'll say, I'll say this. If he took the same approach to his fitness and wellness and strength that he does with golf, it's no wonder why he was able to put on as much weight as he did. However, there's some questions I have there, but anyway, if you look just at his approach into golf, he knows the air pressure. He knows the grain and length of the grass. He knows the way it tends to grow. He knows wind direction and how it affects the spin of the ball and the distance of the ball. He takes such a scientific approach to it. I had mentioned it once before, but... Um, like the mad scientist. 3M wanted to give him a tour, and he agreed to do it. Uh, and he agreed, I think, to take him on as a sponsor only if he could meet with like their aerodynamics team or something like that, just so he could get <laughs> insight on like how he could take that into account. But I could see how that could drive some people batshit crazy, right? And if you're this sort of laid back bro, which Kepka, I think, fancies himself as, which is why you always see him on like Barstool Sports and other programs like that, like he is. He's putting himself out there to be this likable guy. Whether that's authentic, I I don't know. I tend to question a little bit. I don't feel as authentic as he's trying to make it out to be, but I don't know the guy, so I'll, I'll reserve my judgment. But if you haven't seen it, there is a, a snippet from a post-round interview from the PGA Championship this weekend in which Kepka is being interviewed you kind of see him look off screen as it's coming <laughs> and he's answering a couple of questions. And then Brooks Kepka walks by and you hear no, him. Bryson. Bryson uh, sorry. Like, Bry yeah. Bryson walks by and you hear him go like get flustered for a second and then go, I lost my train. of, th I, I lost my train of thought. Cause that 
fucking bullshit or you know <laughs> yeah i just can't deal with this bullshit right now that's what he said yeah. it was it was a live interview it was, it was fantastic yeah and and him and uh the uh the interviewer chuckled a little bit and he's like we're gonna have a lot of fun with that in the, the tv truck and he's like honestly i don't even care now there's some speculation it could have been you know the really loud shoes that he had on as he walked by it could be because he had those loud shoes on and decided to walk by brooks who's in the middle of an interview um you know there's a couple scenarios in which people have said there was potentially some chirping that went on as he walked by he kind of talked a little shit and uh you know low enough that only bryson could hear it i don't know which one of those is accurate but it's still funny to see this sort of like villain slash hero role depending on whose side you take it's basically just two really rich guys sort of going at each other and we're just sort of spectators to the whole thing my money i'm so much better golf than you yeah yeah so it's it's it, it adds in like an element that you wouldn't have seen before. I mean, there are always rivalries. There's always a lot of guys. I mean, Phil and Tiger used to be a rivalry. That's why when right. we had um, the match, the, the match, those were the two guys. But, you know, theirs was, I think, a little difference because they both were very successful at the same time and they were being compared together a lot. Um, but this one, t- this one has a little bit of a different feel to it. This one feels kind of like what, you know, you and someone at work. You don't like. like it has that kind of vibe to it. I mean, um, maybe maybe it could be you and the guy from you know procurement, but it could also be like a Red Sox New York Yankees rivalry that we didn't know we needed in golf. I'm not. It's not going to make yeah. me watch more golf unless I see the PGA start pairing them together. <laughs> oh, then it's going to be must must see TV because I want to see those two be on the same tee box next to each other with their caddies who they know hates each other and just be like, oh yeah, yeah, good good shot, Bryce. Yeah. Could you <laughs> I even just, I imagine? want the hot mic. That's what I want. I just want the hot mic. <laughs> that is a hundred percent going to be the biggest miss from the yep. PGA if they don't yeah, pair they, them they together. Yeah, they won't. Because they it. gotta know. I mean, they'll both be professionals and they're not gonna do anything like in the middle of a game. But like today, I you know, there's a couple things that come out. Obviously the video has gone viral and it's making the rounds, and then Bryce just responds with posting a video of him doing curls saying know can't stop won't stop failure motivates me and so on uh so he Ugh. knows he actually commented on uh an instagram post you know golfers doing things where they said uh brooks was not having bryson's uh meadow cleats and bryson commented on it you know you can fix uh spike marks now right with like a little crying emoji so um Jeez. i mean we'll see where this goes um i i'm i'm here for it i think it you know anything that kind of brings attention to the game and then to kind of add to the drama um i mean i'm here for it so hopefully this is uh this is something that you know i i well i well i don't think it'll materialize in anything crazy it would be funny if we get a couple like memes or a couple little funny storylines to come out of it but it'll we'll be good see. we'll see the last thing I'll say about this before we move on, uh, I was in Charleston, you know, a couple, almost a month ago now, right? Uh, went out there and visited uh, a friend of my wife's who lived on Seabrook Island. Yep. And when we were out there, you know, we were on the beach having some drinks, and he was like, he was like, hey, like, do you want to, do you want to play Kiowa Island? I'm like, I got, I got clubs in the car, bro. Like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> we didn't end up doing it. Okay. 
the fucking championship was at Kiwa Island. And I'm watching this, 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 this thing on TV the entire time going, oh, I would have lost the ball right there. Oh, I would have lost another ball right there. Yep. Oh, I would have lost at least three balls right there. Yep. So, like, in the beginning, I was like, this is so beautiful. Like, I was, like, really upset that I didn't play it. But after yep. about, like, nine holes of, of, like, coverage, I was like, yo, I'd have run out of golf balls real quick. <laughs> I might have, like, I might have driven the golf cart just into the surf and just, like, said, take me now, God. Like, <laughs> just, I no, can't play golf anymore. So, it's, it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. I hope I get a chance to go back there and play it. My golf game is nowhere near good enough to be playing on that course. That'd be like a guy going to Pebble Beach and just like breaking people's windows. Like, you know what I mean? Like on, yep. on, the, on the fairways. It just wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good. I uh I have changed my approach. I look at for a long time I was in that same golf mindset and fishing has taken place of that same golf love where at any given point I have a fishing pole in my car now. Also shout out to this hat from uh Main, main fly, fly fishing this hat is uh dope they do these uh like singular small batch uh fly rods and uh they hooked me up with a hat so shout out to them this hat is now my new favorite hat i'll be wearing all the time but instead of my golf clubs being in the car all the time uh i always have um a fishing rod i don't have a break i have a i have a fly rod that breaks down but i don't trust it you know going back and forth between Hot and cold, hot and cold. So I don't leave that one in there. But I do have my, uh, I do have a seven three bait casting rod and uh, a Hamar reel from uh, Six Go Fishing. Shout out to those guys as well. That's always, always ready. And uh, an ugly stick GX two that breaks down and collapses. <laughs> so that, actually uh, called the ugly stick. Yeah, man, ugly stick is a big brand. No, like yeah, but what uh, happens? That, that that really terrible child joke, like, did you fall down the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down? Like, you know, did, or did your so, uh, did your someone did, hit you with the ugly stick? Like, you know, it's it's someone it's a, it's a, it's a, a classic uh, joke, but yeah, someone did, and then they happened to turn them into uh, fishing poles. And uh, you know, I gotta say, I'm I'm not at the point yet where I'm a gear snob because I have some really high end gear and then I have some really low end gear. This GX two. Leave in the car. I don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to break down depending on the weather. But like this morning, when ordered some food for uh, my my wife, my son, and myself, it happened to be walking distance to a river. So I put my order in. The woman says, I'll come find you. Where are you going to be? I'm like, I'm going to go take a stroll on this river. I'll be back in a few minutes. Walk down, a couple casts out. Sure enough, pulled in what could have been a keeper size rainbow trout. This thing was the size of my forearm. Uh, mm-hmm. I posted on my Instagram channel if anybody actually cares. At Timmy uh, At Timmy underscore Cronin. Uh, you can go check it out. But uh, yeah, man, that's the reason I keep it. I went to the dump a little bit later. Took out a little bait casting rod. Cast that sucker out uh, about three or four times and pulled a little bass. So like, it's one of those things now that has replaced the need for golf. Well, one, it's smaller. And two, we are in the process of swapping out our SUVs. So maybe the golf clubs will take its place at some point. But for now... Fishing rods all day, every day. Someone says, hey, there's a nice little pond over here. I'm there within seconds. I even I even built a little, I call it a go box. It's like a tackle box that has like a little bit of each kind of. Like a bug out bag. And bait style. Actually, that's exactly what I call it. Not a go box. I called it a, a bug out box to my son. And he thought it meant I was going to fill it with bugs. But uh, mm. basically, it, it allows me to like, got 
soft baits in it, some hard baits in it, some hooks, some weights, and I just leave it in the car. I don't have to worry about it. If it breaks down, it is what it is. I just replace it at some point. But It's also a really good tool for you to use if you get pulled over for speeding. Hmm. Hey, where, where are you? Why are you going so fast? I'm just trying to make the tide. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got I got the ugly stick in the bug out bag right here. You know what I mean? I'm just trying. Yeah. Not that I would advocate for that. Okay. Not that I would advocate for that. I, you know. I did. I did. Uh, I did swap out two of my six gill reels for uh, 13 fishing concept Z2. We're uh, running out of time in sorry. the, the in, in the post that I'm going to yeah. put up about this episode to tag all the different brands and companies that you're that you're saying. So you're, you're gonna have to send them all to me so I can just put them all in. I will, but this this one lets me fish freshwater and saltwater. So now mm. I'm literally unstoppable no matter where we go. My wife is gonna want to go to the beach. I'm like, yeah, 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 let's go. And I'm gonna be the guy who's just fishing from the surf the whole time. Just <laughs> anyway, we've kind of carried uh, on too long on each one of these. So boom, oh, man. Yes, all right. Let's talk a little Formula One. It's been a while since we talked Formula One. I said it was gonna be a really good, really good season, and it has been thus far. Uh, shout out to before you get into this. Shout out to Von Trap Brewing out of Stowe, Vermont, for this Hellas Lager. That's my sidecar, <laughs> killing it right now. Super crushable SRM of like three to five. S S R M. I gotta tell you, nobody's gonna know what you're talking about with SRM unless they're like a super beer snob. Well, I hope so. But now that they know, like they've listened to this, so I still don't know how it equates to taste, though. That's the problem. Oh, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It's just one of those things. All right, fair enough. Moving on. Spanish Grand Prix. Happened uh, end of the first week in May. A lot of talk. A lot of speculation. Max Verstappen gets out. He's got the lead. But a curious pit strategy kept him out a little bit longer. Lewis Hamilton stayed behind him. Pitted. Came back out on fresh tires. Ended up overtaking him with like seven laps to go. 66 laps in this race. You get past seven laps to go. It just, it just, it was not a good look. They ended up pulling Max back in. They put new fresh tires on. Go out, get the fastest laps. You can get an extra point for the world championship standings. Didn't seem like a very, very smart strategy at the time. In fact, what I have in the show notes is, LOL, Red Bull pitch strategy. What are you doing? The Spanish Grand Prix is one of those races where yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of room for you to really kind of get up to speed and make some overpasses. And there's this awesome thing that the, the Formula One cars have called DRS. Uh, I don't know what it stands for exactly, but basically it's an overtake function, but you can't use it unless you're within one second of a car. A lot of straights in, on the Spanish Grand Prix, and it allows you to use DRS. And if you can really catch someone and you can stay within one second, DRS opens, you have the window, you can overpass, you can overtake someone. Pitch strategies, two things. Undertake, overtake. If you undertake someone, it means you pit before them so you can kind of come out. And if you overtake them, it means they pit, you pit, you come out over them. Basically, that's kind of what happens. So there's some pitch strategy that's there. And for a long time, I, I, mean, I was just talking to a lot of friends who are Formula One fans, and I'm just saying, what is Red Bull doing? These are terrible pitch strategies. It just does not make any sense to me whatsoever why they're doing this, especially when you have a guy like Lewis Hamilton who he gets poles, or if he doesn't get pole, he finds a way to get in, the, in you know, P2 to P3, and he's out there anyways, and he's going to find a way to lead the race by the end of it, which is exactly what he did. With, like again, six or seven laps to go, he overtook Verstappen, and, and, and he won 
the Spanish Grand Prix. So you go into Monaco. Monaco is like one of those atypical. No, it, it is like the typical Formula One race. If you've ever seen any movie or any sort of hype about Formula One, you've seen the Monaco Grand Prix. It's It takes place in the city. Uh, it's a very tight course. There's a couple corners. There's only a couple spaces to really get up to speed and go over probably over 170 miles an hour. So it really is a strategy. And in Monaco, everything fell apart from Mercedes. So I would call this the LOL pitch strategy for Mercedes race because that's kind of what happened. Listen to this, Tim. This, this is disastrous. Lewis Hamilton, one of the greatest Formula One drivers, qualifies P7. Terrible day. Terrible day in qualifying. Valtteri Bottas, his teammate, comes in for a pit stop. And the, the pit team, when they're going to take the, the wheel nut off of the front right, strips the nut oh. to the point where, where it can't be removed. So he's done. He came into pit, and he didn't leave the pit. Like, the car was, was toast. Uh, and th- there was a photo that, that was out on social media not too long thereafter about this is what the regular wheel nut looks like, and this is what his looked like. And like the edges were grooved away because I mean, a good pit stop takes like 1.7 to 2.2 seconds. So, like, it's it's done. Yep. Uh, I'm not going to do that that notion again. It was super weird to say that out loud, but <laughs> <laughs> but I got what you smell. I, I I smell what you're stepping in. You're good. But but Valtteri came in, and the the guy on the team just had a mental mistake. Didn't put the correct uh, adapter on before he went to go take the nut off the wheel, and that was it. Toast. Could not get the lug nut off the wheel. Now, that wasn't the only sort of heartbreak that happened uh, in Monaco. Charles Leclerc, who had scored relatively high in the Spanish Grand Prix, he was, he was P4. He, he qualified, he won. He was the pole guy. And then there was a drive shaft issue that rendered his car not able to go an hour before the race. So like Ferrari, they had gone P4 and P7 in the last Grand Prix. They, they ended up doing really good in this Grand Prix, but they could have had more points because Charles Leclerc had, he had, he had the pole. He had P1 on the grid. He was going to start first. It was the perfect day to do it, and his car just failed him. It was just the, the most weird, bad luck day you could possibly have at the office. I mean, Mercedes had that, that, that weird thing with the lug nut. Lewis Hamilton qualifies P7, and... He had a weird pit strategy where they left him out there a little bit longer than they should have. This is also the thing that a lot of Formula One teams do. They will keep someone out there on tires that are degrading, right? And it's always a balance of uh, tire condition and how much power you can get out of it. Because obviously, the more power you push through the tires, the, the, the quicker they degrade. When Lewis Hamilton came to pit, he ended up going out and losing two positions. And he was furious, which is understandable. You pit because it's, it's strategy. You trust the person on the pit wall that says, Lewis, time to box, come in, get new tires, go back out. The way the pit strategy worked this week for them in, in the Monaco Grand Prix, it, it was disastrous. They went out on soft tires. Soft tires obviously will degrade quicker, right? But you can, you can get faster laps out of them. That's why people come in and they, they try and get a fast lap for that extra point towards the end of these races. Well, Lewis was out there. 25, 26 laps, they bring him in, and he gets overtaken. And he comes back out, and he's like, yo, what happened? Like, I, I thought I was going to gain two places. Now I'm back to, and he could never get that back for whatever it was because I think, and this is just this is my own thing, 
Mercedes F1 car, every F car F1 car is a little bit different because they have to be like individually made. Mercedes is a little bit longer. And Monaco has a lot of tight chicanes and corners that it's it's not conducive for high speed, but you can't really just go into a corner at 90 miles an hour. So you gotta you gotta kick it down to like 60 or 70. And I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but it really is when you are looking at a lot of these these corners yeah. in these different sections. I mean, it's a so, 20 mile difference to 20 mile an hour difference to catch up. Yeah. And and it was it was very difficult, and Hamilton could not pass Pierre Gasly from Alpha Alpha Tori, which uh, great for him. Gasly P six, I know is what he wanted. Charles Leclerc was obviously super upset because he definitely wanted to 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 be in that race, and he was he was pole. Like it was just it was just a crazy race, and Max took the lead, never let it go, and. He's kind of the villain right now, and and I don't hate it necessarily. I think that it's <laughs> I think that it's cool. Obviously, Mercedes is now back in the standings because Red Bull went and got the extra point last week for the fastest lap. So in the constructors' championship, there's a bit of difference now. I, I said it before; I'll say it again, and I'll, and I'll just finish up with this: like Formula One is a different is a different animal. Before you hop into it, watch all three seasons of Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix, and you will yep. you'll know everything you need to know. And you can just watch on ESPN2 every three or four weeks when there's a new race on you know, Sunday mornings at like 8.55, 9 o'clock, something like that. And it's yep. very easy to pick up. It's, it's a sport you can easily watch. And there's there, while this, this catch strategy is going on, the, yep. the announcers who can hear all the stuff that's going on the radio, they're like, this is a bad idea. Why are they bringing this guy in to pit early? Like his tires can still handle it. Like there's so many little like nuances about Formula One, and I've been watching it for less than a year, and now I already feel like I I know leaps and bounds, you know. Yeah. So one thing you didn't know is what DRS stood for, and it's a drag reduction system. Yeah, yeah. The the back part of their of their spoilers yeah. open up, and the air goes right through it, so they can just cut there. I, I don't know yeah. the technical terms, but I know when you get within one second of someone, you can use DRS, and it, it's usually helpful to overtake. But you need a long straightaway. Monaco only has a couple of those. Um, yep. And it, it's, it was very, very difficult. One yep. shout out. Sebastian Vettel never finished less than P5 in this race ever. Ever. That's insane. The guy's like mm. driven for three different teams. And he, this is the one race he always seems to pull, to pull it out. And I'm just kind of like, why didn't you just go for the gusto this time? Like you made it into P5, but. Like you have the most experience in this track, you are one of the most experienced drivers in this in this Grand Prix. So like, at this point, like, yeah, it's great that you keep getting P five, but like, you got to do better than that. So I don't know. I, I just got to say, everyone needs to watch Formula One. It's one Sunday a month out of your life. It's it's very very good, and it's a lot of fun to be to be honest. I think we're finally seeing Mercedes and Red Bull challenge each other, which is insane because you have a car company going against an energy drink company, which we've already spoken right? about. You know what I mean? Like. Is this is gonna if Red Bull can actually pull off the constructor championship this year, which yep. in the beginning of the season I thought was a far fetched conclusion. It was a it was a pipe dream. Now I think it's within striking distance. You get a couple of these slip ups and you just begin to build on them. Like, yes, go do it. I think I think it's a small possibility. It could happen. I'm sure Mercedes will come out firing in the next Grand Prix, but it was definitely very good. I don't even look to see what Red Bull stock looks like right now, but I've got to imagine that's got to be. Out of this world. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not Bitcoin, but you know, it's up there. <laughs> thirty <laughs> second, a thirty second segue out of that. Um, GME, GameStop, for all yep. those who are currently following the uh, 
uh, investment world and the craziness that is, you know, meme stocks and everything else. Uh, I saw a post today where GameStop is going to start or they're looking to offer up digital games as NFTs so that you can sell them. So plan on their stock skyrocketing at least once more. I haven't full clarification. I haven't looked into it to see what the full understanding of that would be. A bunch of job postings and things like that tied to it. It looks like GameStop is going to try and get into the NFC market. Maybe it's based off of like UPCs and whatnot. So your individual game that you own is an NFT that you could then sell to somebody else who also wants that game. So like you give your license and everything over to the person you're selling it to. I don't know, but it would be pretty interesting if that's the case because yeah. they're they're known for undercutting and kind of, you know, taken away from what a lot of people think their games are valued at. And now if you remove them as little man, middleman and you just facilitate that transaction and you take a small cut of a fee for it, the revenue stream, man. So yeah, anyway, yeah, you got to make money where you can. Anyway, that's completely unrelated to sports and or us, but that was a good segue into it. So, <laughs> well, on. I mean, speaking, speaking of NFTs, the NBA has been really big with the NFTs. So let's get into Ooh, the NBA yeah. playoffs here. Um, there's a lot of NFTs that you know have have been released in the in the past few weeks. One of the NFTs yep. I don't think anyone wants is LeBron as he's rolling over on the floor for 80 seconds after mm-hmm. Draymond apparently poked him in the eye um, during the playing yeah. game. Uh, that happened between yep. the Warriors and Lakers. So the Warriors now have been officially eliminated from the postseason, which is incredible because the Warriors were never supposed to make it to the postseason, right? Yeah. So LeBron hits a clutch three, but then there's all this talk about how he's poked in the eye. He's like yep. flailing around. I, Tim, you said it last week about how you didn't like him. And I don't know if this is like clouding my judgment, but I was just kind of like, man, <laughs> I, I kind of see it for a second. I, 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 I kind of saw, you know, like, I mean, LeBron, he's, he's automatic from certain spots, like on the court, just the same way that Steph Curry is. But it was just sort of like, I didn't really think that was, that it rise to that, that occasion. And then it happened again. In game one of the series between the Phoenix Suns and the Lakers, where there was a foul, a foul, and I yeah. say that with air quotes between him and Chris Paul, um, where obviously, yeah, Paul was probably dragging on him a little bit, but like let his hand go. LeBron sort of like, I don't even know how it happened. His body contorted. He landed on his shoulder, and then there was like an on the court fight between people. Didn't matter. Phoenix so, won the game. So what, what you can't see is I just flip my hat backwards a la Sylvester Stallone <laughs> and over the top as I get ready to go all in on this because that man is such a bitch. Uh, no, no. I mean, uh, I, he was, dude, definitely, he was no, definitely acting and no, trying to get the call. And he no, the call, but- no. Go on. I, I, I encourage everybody who's listening to this right now who is a big-time LeBron fan, which I will preface this with saying, I fully appreciate what he has done for the game. He's a phenomenal player, probably the best to ever play. However, in fact, he's part of the reason our name is the Stats Don't Matter because you have the conversation <laughs> between LeBron and MJ and anybody who's on the side of MJ, unfortunately, isn't paying attention to statistics. Everybody who's on the side of LeBron is saying some of those stats may not matter. Uh, but, you know, different game, different age. You know, there's lots of things that go into that. Anyway, I encourage anybody who's listening right now who has not done so, stop what you're doing, go to YouTube, type in LeBron James flop. That's it. 
Type that in. Hit go and watch the videos in back to back playoff events. We'll call them because one was a play in and the other one's a series. You have to watch those two things. Like one of them was an eye poke that never happened. And the fact that he literally rolled around on the ground, then got up and had like, granted, I've been poked in the eye. It sucks. But when you watch the slow mo and the playback, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily appear to be the case. I'll give him a pass on that one. Maybe he got poked I mean, in the yeah. eye. Maybe he didn't. Again, it sucks getting poked in the eye. Whatever. I got a five year old. I get poked in the eye like once a day, and I think I'm going to go blind. So it is what it is. That being said, the Chris Paul thing was such a load of garbage. He could have just fallen to the ground if he wanted to play it up and they would have called the penalty. He literally flopped around on the ground like his arm got ripped out of the socket. The man is built like a linebacker. He went up like this. A guy kind of held his arm for a second. I get it. I could kind of like, you know, maybe tweak it. I'm also my, my... retired father-in-law ripped the bicep <laughs> scraping I'm not laughing at him just laughing he ripped his he he tore his bicep pushing snow off the top of his car with one arm so like he just reached up over the top pushed and then you know ripped his bicep so like fluke injuries could happen however yeah let's be it. honest this yeah. was like a athlete in like prime fitness going up and a guy kind of holding his arm a little bit and then letting go and he literally threw himself to the ground all uh like, European he just, football just looked, he, it looks like he went around. over the other way you know oh like it's, my it just God. it just it didn't it didn't look believable to me you know and especially just, if you go and lose the game anyways and he just rolls around and is like oh my god my arm is out of my side and then he gets up and it's like nothing ever happened it's like, hard for me to believe when when folks say like Oh, the, the Suns aren't being respected because the Lakers are acting like they've been disrespected because they're the yeah. seventh seed. But like right, you were the seventh seed for a reason. You had to play in for a reason. Like yeah. injury, yeah. strategy, whatever it is, you you weren't the top team. Man, it is um something about the Lakers doesn't mesh. Same way I don't think LeBron and the Heat meshed after, you know, that first season or so. I I'm going to stop short of saying there's a common denominator between all of these and that denominator <laughs> is LeBron James. I'll stop short of that. But this would be another super team that he's gone to that seems to be falling a little bit short. Some of it's been injuries this season. I'll give him that. Some of it's been, uh, you know, lackluster third man, <laughs> which is Maybe. weird to say. Like, Maybe. Yeah, like, okay, I'll, I'll say the, the third man, air quotes, because you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Why do you need a, a third man, give or take? But, um, yeah, there's just something there that doesn't quite add up. Um, so I don't think they're going to make it deep into the playoffs. I mean, they should make it deep. You got LeBron and Anthony Davis. Uh, but yeah, something there's off. And these sort of circus events just kind of take away from it a little bit. But yeah, that was that one was bad. That one was really, really bad. I was, I was not a fan of that. Yeah. Speaking of other circus events, <clears throat> usually you see something that's like so crazy, like, uh, oh, I don't know, a tiger jumping through a, a hoop or a dolphin, like, you know, bouncing yep. a ball on top of its, uh, 
it's it's Bill, and and you just say, there's no way that the the Boston Celtics could possibly go down 0-2 to the Brooklyn Nets. And that's exactly what happened. In game one, the Celtics came close until about halftime. And then they just kind of couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't hang. Um, game two was tonight. They lost 130 to 108. Tatum yeah. left, only scored nine points, an eye injury, an actual eye injury. That was why he left the game, like didn't come back in, didn't didn't go to the line, like all that stuff. Like, oh boy. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's going to be a clean sweep, but I just, I just sort of feel like that the Bruins, who we'll talk about next, <laughs> the Bruins are the team to talk about in Boston right now because yeah. the Celtics have, I just feel like they've run into a wall here. Yeah, and I think at the worst goes, possible time. Yeah, and I, and to be honest, I think anybody who goes up against the this Nets team is is going to be in that same boat, which they should be. Like. That team is nothing but just completely stacked players. Like, it, if a team is going to win it this year, it should be the Nets because, like, one through six are guys who on any other team might carry a team through a playoff run. And the fact that they're all on the same team is yeah. just incredible. So I mean, KD had a nice night tonight, 26 points, eight rebounds. He's, just, he's really just killing it. Marcus Smart tried, but it's just like, I don't think Boston has enough firepower. I don't think they Boston don't. has enough, like, Brown's enough out. gusto. Yeah, yeah, Brown's out. He just had uh, wrist surgery, which was supposedly successful, but he's not able to do basketball-related functions for, like, another three months. So Brown was a big one, him and Tatum, were, which, by the way, shout-out to Tatum for – for graduating to a, a, a single name character. Cause when you say Tatum, everybody knows who you're talking about now. So I think he's officially <laughs> earned the, uh, the, the single name status. Um, but no, I, I, I think they've been overachieving thus far. Like all season, they've been somewhat overachieving. And I think this kind of continues that uh, there. I mean, I think anybody who goes up against the Nets is going to have a little bit of trouble. And that's not a surprise that should exactly be what happens when you have a team that's put together like the Nets are. So I'm not surprised. It is what it is. Um, I'd rather. You think have that them. they can win a game? The Celtics? Yeah. Sure. You, if they you, rest a couple, do you think guys, they could? They, they, they could at least force a game five, or do you think they're gonna get swept? Oh, I'm sure they're gonna get swept, but I don't think mm. they'll be the first team that goes up against the Nets that gets swept either. I mean, you're playing. It's basically like. The Monstars versus everybody else when it comes to the Nets. Like one through six, again, are guys who could lead teams. And like Blake Griffin is what? Like your sixth man on that roster mm. now? Like, yeah. It's just, uh, it's one of those that, I mean, if you take Tatum out, but 50 points uh, last game are uh, in their playing game, 22 points in the last game, and then tonight, you know, was struggling a little bit. Take him out, and there isn't much going on beyond him. Uh, I think the next closest, like, if you take his 50-point game, the next closest was 29 points. After that, it was 12 points. So uh, if you took the first game against New York, he had 22 points. It was a little bit more even. It was 22, 17, and 15 between him, Smart, and, uh, and, and Walker. But... And there's just not enough there to compete with a team like the Nets who are just like a, you know, they're a powerhouse. They should steamroll everyone they go up against. The problem is they're all like short-term contracts. So the Nets are going to be good for a short period of time. 
But for that short period of time, they should steamroll everybody. And there's zero reason why they shouldn't. And if they don't, in my opinion, that's a complete failure on behalf of the Nets. Because, I mean, that team is just stacked. Like, Yeah, they are. And, but there's a lot of teams that like should have been stacked. I think we've seen that in the West with like the Lakers. Everyone thought, oh, you have LeBron and AD. But like also, we got to talk about the Clippers and and the Mavs. Like yep. we 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 heard so much about the Battle of Los Angeles, the Battle of Los Angeles, the Battle of it's like a bad infomercial. Yep. Mavs are up one zero right now, and mm-hmm. and they're playing uh, the game game two as we're recording this, and yep. the Clippers aren't within striking distance. I'll just say that. So, like, we, we have been conditioned to believe that, like, good basketball only occurs between a few teams. But I, I got to say, a couple of the the series that you should actually pay attention to the most in the West, Denver-Portland, Logo Lillard, Dame Lillard. It's just insane. The guy, like, has Steph Curry range. And I, I just love the fact that, like, he is putting Portland on his back. And he's, like, he's not, he's not accepted, you know, trades to go to other teams. He's not trying to be moved around. He's trying to make the Portland Trailblazers, like a thing. I, I really appreciate that. But the Denver Nuggets are a good team. And the series tied 1-1 right now. Um, you know, game three is on tonight as we're recording this. So I think it's going to be very, very crazy. Uh, and I and I think that that kind of basketball is good. I think, I think we need to continue to see that. So, I mean, I totally agree. I think that I think Trailblazers could be a team worth paying attention to. But for me, I think the team that's not getting enough love might be the Suns. Uh, Devin Booker has averaged some crazy like 30 points or something obnoxious like that for um, the last month. Overall, I mean, he's 30, he's averaged 34 points throughout the season. Um, it's a little too early to look at, you know, you know what he's been doing this playoff season. But uh, if you stack him up against LeBron, he actually has the edge. The only difference is LeBron has a couple other players who are all in the triple digits versus Devin Booker, who is not. But we've already seen when you talk about like the Milwaukee Bucks, the Clippers, you have guys who are able to carry teams. Booker's put himself in a position to really kind of carry the weight and some of the scoring potential that kind of leads some of these teams on into deeper postseasons, especially when they go up against the team that may or may not have that guy or have someone who is capable of stepping in and putting up major points. Um, I mean, his 34 points, I, I think in the postseason, he averages like somewhere between 31 to 34 points this season. Uh, you know, we're, we're short. So postseason stats are you know somewhat limited, but all considering plans and what's going on right now, LeBron is only at 22. So, there's a difference there. If he can come out and he can play well, they're already up one and zero. Come out, we've got a couple other wins. It seems, you know, if we look back at last season, AD and LeBron would trade off. Who had a big game? Who kind of took the sideline part to it? Uh, this season, it's kind of feeling more and more like both of them are a little bit more subdued compared to what we're normally used to. Obviously, we had, you know, the big three pointer from LeBron the other day, which kind of refreshes your memory and who LeBron is, but put him on a team with another player who can really go crazy. And it's a little bit different. Like I don't necessarily think the Golden state warriors were at full capacity and were playing at their best game. I mean, you had a bunch of guys who missed a lot of the start of the season who were kind of yeah, coming back into it. 
So for me, I think the Suns might actually be a team if they make it past the Lakers who are worth paying attention to, to be honest. I think it's been a really long time since you've heard the Suns as part of the conversation. Like I still remember the puffy jackets from middle school and high school. The purple um, but, and white. Yeah, but this could be <laughs> this this could be their year if they're, you know, if, if Booker continues to come out and perform as well as he's doing. Um I think for them it's, you know, he didn't come to play around. I think there's there's some potential for them to do well. I mean, do you think that like there's a chance that there is another player that comes to Phoenix, depending on whether or not they go deep in this playoff or not? I mean, they got CP3, they got Booker. Could they get a third a third person to come out there, like someone who's like on the you know the 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 edge of free agency who just decides like maybe I really want to make make a big move, maybe I want to go to a different team, not and not a big market team either to to be the sixth man. Maybe I want to go to a place I can I can be an actual role player. Yeah. Um, I mean, DeAndre. Phoenix? DeAndre was it? Ethan. DeAndre. Ethan. He's. I mean, not far behind. He's got twenty one points per game so far in this early postseason. Hmm. So, I mean, they they do have. I mean, there. If you're comparing him to like the Lebrons, he's a few points off of what Lebron. Is. I mean, he's technically one point off. The difference is Lebron tends to average a few more triple doubles than a lot of these other guys. So, assists, like the Brody. Yeah, so like assists on its own, um, you know, LeBron has the edge there against a lot of these guys. But, you know, if you're averaging 21 points and your star is averaging 30 points, those, I mean, You'll most of these, yeah, most of these games end up in like the 90s, uh, like 100s to, you know, 110, 104 to like 100, things like that. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good supporting player. The problem is, again, we got to talk about the Lakers who have six guys who are in the double digits when it comes to like average points per game, right? Yeah. And the only other team that has that is if you jump over and you're talking about the Nets. So it all is going to come down to individual performances per game. You need a couple guys to step up on the Sun side. As long as Devin's doing his thing, they, they have a chance to compete. You have a couple guys who might struggle on the Lakers side. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to get a lot of these teams now where you're always going to have super teams. Hate the fact that that's like part of the conversation. I hate the fact that a team like the Nets exists when I hated the fact that, you know, the Heat existed for a little while with the, the power three. And then when LeBron went to the Lakers, the conversation became like, who's going to the Lakers? It's going to be, you know, whatever. I hate that. But the more you see these teams who aren't spending all their capital on big name players have some success, I'm hoping that kind of sort of changes the dynamic a little bit. And you move to like two superstars and a really strong supporting cast. Yeah, like that a great bench squad. That's like, or just yeah. even like you have like your top two, but then you you have like solid three, four, five, six. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like allow that mid tier of those NBA players to really shine out. Yep. Um, and allow them to grow in the next level because there's just not enough Clays and, and Steps to, and LeBrons and ADs to go around. Like you, th- that next generation has to step up for sure. And I and I, think, I think D Book is 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 part of that. I don't know necessarily that Trey Young hits the winner over the Knicks. I don't really think that he's like he's there yet, right? The same way I don't think like Lonzo Ball is like the next level. But I, I think that there's a ton of potential there that's bubbling up. Yep. It's ready to come, but it just just hasn't come to come to be yet. 
I'd agree with that. Celtics, if you can hear this, we're channeling as much good energy. All you have to do is win the next four games. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Okay. Let's let's uh let's let's finish up this episode of Stats from Our Podcast. We'll talk a little NHL playoffs. Last year, when Lord Stanley's Cups playoffs came around, the, the NHL was in a bubble in two separate cities. And we were lamenting how like Boston just was in a slump. They were getting some OT battles and they just they didn't have the legs. They didn't have the they didn't have the lines. They didn't have the ability to sort of skate off their opponents and keep the pressure on when it counted. Chara, no longer a Boston Bruin. We had yep. thoughts about that. He went to the Capitals. We said maybe he should have just retired. But we also thought, all right, Boston's betting big on the fences here. They're saying we got a young line. We're going to yep. be aggressive. And we talked about it at the trade deadline. They got Hall. And we said, yeah, maybe there's something here. They get into the playoffs. They lose the first game yep. against the Capitals. And <laughs> you're not wrong for thinking, here we go again. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you make it through the regular season. You have some good things. And then you get to a point where you get to the postseason and you just sort of fall apart. Yep. Boston lost the first game, won the next four. Two of those four games were OT thrillers. One of them went to two OT, right? Yep. And you win by a goal every time. And Marshawn, Krejci, Pasternak. Carrying the team right now, and I'm, yep. I'm I'm about it. I'm, I'm just like I just gotta say it. Like I'm about it. I was watching uh, the game the other night where I wanted to close it out against the Caps, and I just saw something different. I don't know if you've seen it in, in way you've been watching the Bruins, but like the team that we're seeing in the postseason right now, and I get this only first round, but the team that we're seeing in the, in, in the postseason is not the team we saw from the regular season. I don't know if that's because they're gelling because. The stuff that happened in the trade deadline, but like Boston's aggressive. Their lines yeah. are quick. They yep. have depth. They play yep. good defensive hockey when it counts, and they capitalize on scoring opportunities when they need to. Rask has been doing just exactly what Rask needs to do, and I'm very happy about it. Very, very happy about it. There was that goal I thought it happened the other night, but thankfully one of the players have like interfered with him in the crease. You can call bullshit. I call it the rules. <laughs> like that just is what it is. But yeah. I, I think that the Celtics, sorry, why do I keep doing that? I keep messing them up. I think that the Bruins have showed us like this season. They're like, maybe they're not the ones who just go quietly into the good night. You lose a yeah. game, you come back and win the next four, and you have the legs to go back to back OT. And I, I thought for sure when they when they played the Caps on Sunday, I was like, here we go. They're gonna fall apart. They're gonna allow game six to happen because like they're tired from the OT. Like, you know, or the and the double OT went, but it didn't happen. And I was very excited to see that. Very excited. Yeah, they've come out just on fire. Uh they've got 16 goals in five games, which is huge. Right? Like on that's... on not a not a lot of shots on goal. I think that was the biggest thing from from the game the other night. The Caps had like 34 shots in goal, and Boston had like 12. Yeah. But the Boston others... had scored on three of those 12 shots. Yeah, the other surprising thing, I've been sort of a mixed supporter of Tuka Rask. I don't necessarily think Tuka Rask is a bad uh, goalie. On record of saying this, I've I've had friends 
unfriend me on uh, Facebook because of this same conversation. So those guys can go to hell. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> essentially, you 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 have this guy who is a a great great goalie, but somehow manages to give up super soft goals, which those two things sound like they'd be in big contrast of each other. But then he tends to step up pretty well in big moments. Um, this is a prime example of that. He had a save average of like, I don't know, a nine one four or something like that. Um, it's by the way, it goes to, you know, a thousand, just like a batting average, but, uh, he had a point nine one four. Uh, this postseason so far, he has a point nine four one save average. That is above the league leading average of the entire season, which was uh nine thirty two, which and I always mess up his name. Uh it was held by Alex Nadelkovich. That was good. Yeah. Carolina. I think mm-hmm. I I think I got that one right. I think I nailed it. Canes. Um anyway. So right now, postseason, he has found a way to step it up. Again, it's only against one team, so it's really hard to compare the two. But he has a really good save average right now based off of just this one series, which is always a good sign. In the years where we've had success, it's been on the back of Tuka Rask. The problem is the years where we've struggled have also been on the, on the back, back of Tuka Rask, Rask where he's yeah. given up some of these soft goals. So. We're one series into this. We don't know who we're going to line up to next, but the fact that he has done well up to this point and the team is playing aggressive and scoring a lot of goals. I mean, 16 goals in five games is, you know, just shy of, you know, five goals a game. So that's or three goals a game. That's a, a, a pretty good scoring average. We Yeah, you, you could definitely win games ones. put up that much. Yeah, you had some close ones early, but the last two games they won were like blowouts. They're like four to one and three to one going out of it. So strong outing. Everyone looks fast. Everyone looks aggressive. Um it's it it's a team that I thought was overachieving for a lot of the season, even though a lot of our uh stables stayed. Glad they're kinda of like coming into their own. When it counts, I know, you know, all the seasons are kind of weird this year because, you know, we're coming out of COVID. But I think they could be a team, you know, depending on how this next series shapes up, that might be worth paying attention to. I mean, right now they're garnering enough attention that, you know, should be a little eye-opening. But I'm not I'm not quite I'm not quite there yet. I also don't know so you, who our opponent's going to be next. So, Do you think they could raise Lord Stanley's Cup? Um... I always think there's a chance with the Bruins. Bruins yeah. is another one of those Boston teams where it doesn't always come down to like high profile personnel, which is weird to say in hockey because a lot of times most personnel aren't, you know, widely known outside of those who actually follow hockey. Um but we have enough really good players on this team that it is that it is a potential uh i think one of our saving graces is the fact that the maple leaves and the habs are currently playing each other so only one of those teams is going to get through and um, toronto was leading that series three to one so screw yeah. you habs and that's not even yeah. a nice way of me saying that 
And I think this is actually a perfect segue into the the, the final bit of this is uh, who we think could, you know, potentially raise it if it's not the Bruins. Um, I'm always paying attention to the Maple Leafs. I'm always paying attention to the Habs because they run, uh, you know, obviously when it comes against the Bruins, but just in general, a really strong program. But for me, I think it comes down to, uh, I think it comes down to Las Vegas. I think Las Vegas has kind of been flirting with it and on the cusp. And I, it's very because right think, now, they're just for a while, they're giving them a run for their money. Yeah, but I mean, Vegas. And I, I, I mean, let's if we if we if you take all things into account, everyone's in the playoffs, so they should be tough games. I mean, you got a couple teams who have gone on and taken you know four and zero leads going into this, but you know both Colorado and Winnipeg, they both won their series. Yeah, it was they both crazy. Swept. It's absolutely so little, crazy. Yeah, so they get a little time off, you know, to kind of, you know, regroup or whatnot. But that that's fine. But hockey is one of those that, you know, sometimes that matters. Sometimes it doesn't. But I think Las Vegas has been sort of on the cusp since being introduced as an organization. And for yeah. me, I would love to see them come in and kind of shake things up a little bit. I would love to see them come in and win a Stanley Cup because what that shows is you don't necessarily need to be a cold weather state or like a cold weather country to come in and compete as long yeah. as you're willing to, you know, put in the time for you not only for your team but for the facility your guys are that the guys are playing in and practicing in. If it shows that literally Las Vegas, which I don't know if they've seen a snowflake in the last hundred years. Um, I mean, I know it gets cold there. I, I lived close enough to it when I lived in California. I know it gets cold, but we're not talking like I never once could have gone out and skated on a, a local lake or a pond ever. True. So yep. the fact that Unless you know, it was like it, nuclear winter. But. Yeah, it could give a little hope for, you know. Southern California and Florida and Texas and places like that who kind of everyone rules out a little bit because they don't have the homegrown state because they're a warm weather state. But it would be cool to see Vegas come in as an expansion team. And I and to preface that I understand where some uh, opponents might look at that and say, well, it's kind of cheating a little bit because when you come into a league as an expansion team, you're given all these picks and you could choose from players from different teams and whatnot but long term it shows that some of these warmer weather states might be able to compete so i think it would yeah. be cool to see vegas win um but i do i think the bruins have a chance i think the bruins have a better chance now than what i did you know like a five week six ago. games ago yeah. when you know everything started i thought they kind of snuck in on it third in their division but they're they're playing incredibly well, so I, I think there's a chance. Yeah. I was going to say that I, I thought that maybe like a team like the Avalanche or the Knights could could be that team because obviously when you sweep the team first round, and, yeah. and Winnipeg did too. Winnipeg didn't play in front of fans, so we're out of COVID now, and I kind of think that 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 advantage has to be discussed. You, you have to look at it a little bit, right? I thought the Panthers were going to do a little bit more, but they allowed yeah. the t- those damn Tampa Bay Lightning to come back. Tampa Bay leads three to two, so I'm just going to go to Game Six, Seven, possibly. I just I don't want to see the Lightning go further. Um, I was surprised mostly by the Canes and the Preds being two and two. 
I thought for sure one of those teams was going to be better decisively than the other one. Sort of like yep. uh, between the Maple Leafs and the Habs. I thought there was going to be one team that was going to like strongly come out. But I, I hear you on the Vegas thing. Only because it like adds calamity into the whole idea that hockey is played by only cold weather states and countries. And there can't possibly be anyone from a, a team that you know lives in, in the desert or a marsh or the south that, that could have a, yep. a good fielded team. So I'm with you on that. I do think, though, all things considered, I think the Bruins do have something this postseason that, that they didn't have last year. I think that's grit. I think it's depth. And I think that was one thing that we talked about. They they kind of relinquished a little bit. They didn't play as aggressive last year. And I understand that they're wanting to go young. And I think in part of them going young is pushing guys further because you know you can get more out of them. You know that yep. they're they're going to naturally want to give you more because they're younger in the league. They want to build their own postseason story. And I, I do think that that, it could be a good chance for them to sort of lose in like the conference semifinals. You know, like I, that would be a very, very good place. I think for the Bruins, I, do I want them to, to raise Lord Stanley's cup? Of course I do. But if they lose along the way and they have a young team, they build, then they can take that momentum into next season. Another full season in front of full fans. because We won't be under COVID restrictions. They'll be traveling. You know, the world will probably be back to somewhat of a normalcy. And I think it'll be a little bit different because they'll have that momentum behind it. A lot of these other teams have just really benefited from the fact that they're really strong, connected teams. Yep. The Minnesota Wild has been one of those teams for a few years now that people have not been giving a lot of uh, airtime to. They, they've not really they given a lot of respect because they just don't blow out teams. So the fact that they're keeping up with the Knights is, it to me, I, if it can't be the Bruins, I want to see the Minnesota Wild just just raise it. Mm. I, I think it would be, it'd be it would be insane. It would just be insane to see it as like a team like that just sort of raise it. Um, no, I don't want the Jets, the Winnipeg Jets to raise it. No, I don't want the the Maple Leafs or the Habs to raise it. You know what I mean? That's just not just you know nationalism. That's just me thinking like we need it. We need it. We need another team to sort of win. And we had we had those I, teams in, in the bubble that that won, and this is different. I can't do the Jets just out of spite. <laughs> I mean. They, <laughs> That's the weirdest logo I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a military man, which we established in the last episode, you put a lot of stock in when it comes to things outside of uh, the actual military. I feel like you would have ad- adopted that a little bit and been, nah, you know, I'm a found something guy. resonant. All right. I'm a helicopter shout out, guy. No, no, shout out Donnie Rafford. Or not Donnie <laughs> shout Rafford. Out to Donnie Rafford, 100%. 100%. All right. But, uh, I think it does it here. I, th- I yeah, think, man. Tim, we, we, we've talked about many, many sports. Um, we've got the Bryson v. Brooks. That's sort of the um, the superhero villain versus the mafioso that we didn't know we needed in golf. We talked about I think the Celtics will probably get you know taken out behind the shed and put out of their misery, we think. Uh, yeah. 4-1 f- would be great. Probably going to be 4-0 if we're, if we're being honest. I think I think that the Bruins gonna, really have a good chance to go, but they're going to drag it out. The, I, I feel like the Celtics are going to drag it out a little bit. Going to go, they're going to squeak out like maybe two games, maybe three games, but ultimately it's going to be for not because that will just be I, brutal. Yeah, it'll just be I, brutal. It, it'll just tell us all the things that we need to know, which is this, this that this team needs serious upheaval, whether it's players, yeah. whether it's coaches, whether it's philosophy. 
Danny's got to do something. Uh, well, you know, don't, keep in mind we're down one of our major major players right now. Two, no. two. We don't yeah. know if uh, if Tatum's gonna be back. Well, Tatum, or, Tatum will be back, but Brown's out for the season. Like, there's no ends yeah. ifs or buts about that. That's like our our second or third man on the roster who's just out, which is on which most is tough. on most normal teams. You would say we have three to make one on. <laughs> The Celtics, we need five to make three. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. It's, it's just, it's just bad. Uh, yeah. and, and then I, I do think that as, as far as the Bruins go, I, th- I think they can make a deep run. I wonder if their youth and their exuberance runs out of gas at some point, just because they don't necessarily have the, the playoff, you know, history behind them. They, they haven't really gelled together. They're playing for each other right now, and I love that. I absolutely love seeing that. Yeah, I wonder if that runs out at some point, but right now we're gonna ride those boards for as long as we possibly can. So, shout out to Phil, shout out to Bryson and Brooks giving us the New York Yankees Red Sox rival we didn't we needed. Shout out to Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, another rivalry. This is let's just get back to rivalries, all the yeah. rivalries since since we're moving past COVID, since we're having fans back in the stands. Let's just get rivalries. Me versus you. Let's get back to this storyline we all know and love in sports, Tim. Deal. I'm all in for it. Especially golf. Golf is always better with uh, a storyline. 100%. 100%. We thank all of you for listening to this episode of Stats Matter Podcast. We hope you download it, share it, subscribe it, listen to it many, many times. Provide us your feedback. And we will talk to you all next week. Cheers, everybody. Peace.